So uh, we're in the hero series, and so what we're doing is we're going through from, we started with Abraham, and we're traveling through this old, the Old Testament right now, and we're looking at all these different heroes of the faith. But you know what? We also find that there are going to be some villains along the way. If you're going to have a hero, you have to have a villain, right? I mean, if we're going to have, hey, there's this hero and he does these amazing things, there's other people that did not do the amazing things, and we can also learn life-changing principles from them. So this is what we've covered so far, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Rahab. And one of my favorite stories is actually Rahab, one of my favorite stories because here is a woman who had in her all the way up to this moment in her life, she was a prostitute. So she was not walking the right way, but she was able to turn her life around in a moment, and the rest of her life was not defined by her past. And I think that these are great lessons for us to learn. Today we're going to look at our first villain of the series, and that is Achan. How many of you were thinking Achan for some yeah, because I'm not the only one of those. I was like, man, I got hungry when I was writing this sermon. I'm like, why am I so hungry? Anyways, so Aiken, what we're going to learn today is that your actions affect others. And, and we probably already know this truth, but we're going to see this firsthand. So um, Aiken is in the book of Joshua. So uh, that's where we're going to be. He's in Joshua. And one of the things that he had done is he had taken some things he wasn't supposed to take. They told him, so here, I'm going to read to you the instructions given. So God told Joshua to tell all the people. He said the city. So this is God speaking to Joshua. Then Joshua takes the message that God gave him, and he then gives it to Israel. And this is what Joshua said. This was the Lord spoke through Joshua. The city and all that is in it. You hear me? The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking them or any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All of the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into His treasury. These are the instructions. Before they started marching circles around Jericho, these instructions were given to the army, the entire camp of Israel. This is what God says. This is what you have to do. So we're going to break this down. The city and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. It's really simple. I even highlighted it. The city and all that is in it. So what does that include? Everything that's in the city, right? Everything. It includes everything. So, so, so he says everything. So everything belongs to who? God, right? So the Lord, God. So everything belongs to him. But, you know, what if God wants to destroy something I really like? Right? I mean, think about this. What if, what if he's like, we're going to destroy this, and, uh, and you're like, well, that really is pretty good. We could probably repurpose that. Somebody owns some pallets, and they're going to burn them. And you're like, hold on. I know that they're your pallets, but we could repurpose them. Right? I, I don't think that you should burn your pallets, so I think I'm going to take a couple of those pallets because I don't think that you should burn them. You see, what I'm wanting you to understand is that sometimes when God says he's going to do something or he says something, we forget it's his. 
If he wants to take the city and he wants to crumble it into nothing, he's God. It's his city. If he says we're going to keep stuff, we're going to keep stuff. If he says we're not keeping stuff, because why? It's his. What if I really like what belongs to him? Right? I really like it. I mean, I, I'm now focusing on one word. I really like it. I really like that thing. I mean, you know, and think about it. We're going to help. You know, the, the, these soldiers, they're putting their lives on the line to take the city. Well, God wants to destroy stuff, and he went, I helped do this, so maybe I'm entitled to some of the spoils. I mean, I helped do this, right? Let me ask you. I bet all the kids know this answer. The last question, what if I take something that belongs to God? What's that called? There's a lot of children over in that area right over there. All right, okay. All right, no. So, right, it's stealing, right? All right, you guys ready? I'm just I'm ready, ready. So, does, does, does God like stealing? I mean, there's a whole commandment about it, right? Okay, we're all going to be friends here in a moment, right? Okay, I'm just, just making sure. If I see anybody walking out, I'm going to have the security risk right back to your seat. Somebody walks out on me, you bring them right back in, all right? You bring them right back, right to the front row, all right? Security team, bring them right to the front so, so if it makes God angry, when we, if we still, then why do we steal from God? See, what if I'm told to give something, but then don't give it? What's that called? Like, I'm told to do that, Right? See what I'm saying? So, so I want you, I want you, I want you, thank you. So, well, we haven't got there yet. Just give it some time. Um, so, here's the deal. Let me read this to you. In the book of Malachi, chapter 3, it says, will a man rob God? Because this is what, this is what part of the problem was, and we're going to see this unfold here in a little bit with how God was viewing Achan, right? So, so he, so, so here's the thing is, in a different book, Malachi, he says, will a man rob God? Then the people say, yet you have, they said, wait, hold on, how, how have we robbed you? So the people were like, God, I didn't come into the church and steal the toilet paper. That's kind of an obscure thing to say, unless it's happened at some point. You know, I didn't go into the church and take, make some change out of the, of the offering. I didn't put a 10 in and take a 20 out. I didn't take anything out. You know, I didn't steal. From, so what they're saying is, you're, God, you're telling us that we stole from you, yet we didn't steal anything from you. And then yet God says, how, they say, how have we robbed you? God says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you robbed me. So what God has told the people is, he says, here's the deal. Everything that you have, I gave you. How many of you agree with that? That what you have, I mean, because God gave you your very life, right? God gave you the breath that is in your lungs. We wouldn't be here without him. Everything that I have is because of him. Every good gift is from the Father above. So he says, I gave you life. I gave you the ability to have a job. I gave you this, and yet you're stealing from me. Right? See, the reason why I bring this up is I, I kind of hope that I can help, kind of help us relate a little bit because I think we often don't really think about what our actions are actually doing. So here's the thing is, the reason why I bring up like giving like on a regular basis or tithing is because statistically, only 20% of any given attending church person 
actually gives on a, on a monthly basis. 20%, that means that 80% of us is probably like, mm. don't worry, I don't know. I don't know. God knows. I mean, I don't, but God knows. I mean, but the point is, is that what he ends up saying is this. He says, you're under a whole curse because you're stealing from me. So God takes stealing pretty seriously. He put an entire nation under a curse. But then he also then says this. He comes back and says, but bring your whole tithe and offering to the storehouse so that there may be food. And he says, test me in this. The only place in the entire Bible where God actually gives us permission to put a test out there. He says, test me, bring it all that you're supposed to bring, what he tells you to bring. That's why when I say, God, what do you want me to give? I just give what he tells me to give. So, so take that with him. But here's the thing is he says, bring that whole thing. Test me in this and see if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing that your barn can't even hold it. You see, what happens is this. I like that 10%. I, 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 like, I like keeping all of the money that I made. I, I like, so what happens is that we find ourselves in a place where then we put ourselves in not good standing with the Lord. What if my poor money management got me at odds with God and my entire family's paying for it? Oh, come on, now is it relevant? See, what I want us to understand is that our choices, the decisions, the actions I make affect my family, my house, my, my neighbors, the people around me. My choices, my words, my behaviors affect everyone around me. And we're going to see this get deeper. So let's move on so that we can still be friends. So verse 18, but keep away from the devoted things. So I'm just breaking down the instructions. Keep away. Everything in the city belongs to God. Keep away from the devoted things. That would be keep away from their, their gold and their silver and the things that they've put in their temples to their gods. Think about this. Every city had its own god. It worshipped. It had a temple. And everybody brought everything valuable to that temple and devoted it to their god. And our god says, stay away from that garbage. Stay away from it. It's mine. I'm going to defeat that god because it don't even exist. And that's mine. Stay away from it. So that, right, he even tells us why. So that you will not bring about your own destruction, right? And furthermore, otherwise you will make the whole camp of Israel liable. So one person not only makes themselves over to destruction, but now they will make the whole camp around them liable to destruction. Is that not, did I miss anything there? Okay. So, thank you. So, it's not like they weren't warned here. Because you're going to see something in a little bit, and you're going to be like, why was God so harsh? Because I read this, I'm like, ooh, man, that's really harsh, Lord. But what I'm, I'm wanting you to understand is that everyone was warned. It's not like, oh, I forgot to tell you guys the rules, right? I forgot to tell you the rules, and now I can't hold out the consequences. But no, I told you the rules, and here's the consequences that follow. So what happens if you don't keep away from the devoted things? You'll bring about your own destruction and make all of Israel liable to destruction. All right? I'm wanting us to understand as I just keep bringing this home, hopefully, is that the decisions and the things that you do in your life will directly affect those right around you. 
If you go down, think about this. If your decisions and you go down to destruction, you make yourself liable to destruction, how many lives are you going to destroy that's all around you? Now, is it making sense, right? Because a lot of people say, I'm only affecting myself. No, you're affecting everyone that's around you. It's never just you unless you live in a hole by yourself. If you went into a cave and you're all by yourself, but even then, you still have a family out there that care and love for you. And it's still affecting them. Even though you thought the best thing I can do for my family is to get away from them and hide in a hole, maybe this will help. You're still hurting them because they're still connected to you. So then he goes on to say in the next verse, oh, okay, so no, I got to. So after we see this, so now in, uh, in, in chapter 7, so we're going to fast forward. So, he's, so, so what I'm wanting you to understand is there's a battle that takes place now. So, so they, he gives them the instructions. They go out. Jericho's walls come tumbling down. They win. Everything is great. They're celebrating. Then they come out, and, and they're getting ready to, to go into uh, another battle. They see the next village in line, and it's a little tiny town. It's not going to be much of a fight. We're not going to have to put up much of a fight here, so we're just going to send 2,000 soldiers over there out of the whole army. They get routed. Okay, so I'm wanting to kind of set the picture of what's happening. So here in chapter 7, verse 1, the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. So the part that they were unfaithful is they did not listen to the instructions about the devoted things. Achan, son of Karma, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, and of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. Not all of them, some of them. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now, I want to ask a couple of questions. Why is God angry? He, what does he say? He's, he's, his anger burned against who? Israel. So I'm like, why is, he, why is God so angry? Because we're, we're going to see the consequences unfold here in a little bit. I'm like, why are you so angry? Have you ever, ever, ever wanted to ask, like, why are you so angry? Right? So here's the thing. Because they were warned and they still didn't listen. Parents, if you warn your kid not to do something and then they go and do that, are you a little bit more angry than if you didn't warn them? Let's be honest, right? When I say, kids, don't do that, and then they do it, I hulk out. I don't know if I turn green or more of the red, angry purple, but my neck gets blotchy when I get really angry, and it's scary. So, okay, so then the next question is, why be angry with Israel? You see, here's the thing is, is that he did tell them, he warned them that the whole Israel would be liable to destruction, but Achan was the one who took it. Why be angry with the whole when the one did it? See, when I was in the army and we were in the basic training, I remember basic training, and, and every time someone in our platoon did something stupid, we all... I remember there was, uh, we were uh, what, in Fort, Fort, Fort Jackson, and there was like this big, tall, huge tree like two miles away. And every time, and we had, a, and my, my deal, since I, had to, I was in college, uh, a bunch of kids that were just getting out of high school were in my, my platoon. And they were so dumb. <laughs> they kept doing dumb things over and over and over and over, and I'm just like, 
Oh, and every time they did something really dumb, which was every day, the drill sergeant would point to the tree two miles away and go, go touch that tree. Anybody walks, you're doing it again. And I always had people walking. Always. I wasn't walking. Guess who had to touch the tree a second time? This guy. So what happened is, is, is that what I learned there real quick is that, hey, you work as a whole team. You rise together or you fall together. So here's the deal. The one person caused effects because guess what? That one person's choice when they went to battle, 36 men died because that person was selfish. See, Achan, maybe he should have put God, family, and his nation before himself. Maybe he should have thought, maybe God's not playing around with his words. Maybe God's not playing around, and maybe I shouldn't take some of these things that are where I found in the, the temple of whatever God we just demolished here. Maybe, maybe God's serious about this stuff, and maybe I, I need to listen to my God, and I need to put my family before myself, and maybe I need to put the nation, the whole nation before myself, and maybe I should just do what God's telling me to do. So... After they'd lost that battle, Joshua did not yet know what had happened. He did not yet know that they were unfaithful. All he knew is we went to Jericho, destroyed them. That's awesome. Now we went over to this little tiny village that's not even fortified, and we, we, we got beat. We got defeated. And here's what Joshua says. Joshua said to the Lord in verse 7 of Joshua 7, At last, Lord, sovereign Lord, why did you ever... Listen, why did you... All right, I just want to... Why did you, God, I'm just like, ooh, he's a little bold right now. Why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? God, why did you do this? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of Jordan, none of this would have ever happened. Woo! Yes, where did he learn that? It doesn't that sound like the children of Israel always wanting to go back to Egypt. So what I'm wanting you to think is right now, what he's doing is Joshua is questioning God. Right? He's like, God, why did you bring us across the river just to have us destroyed? But I want to ask you this. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing? And you're like, well, hold on. Oh, we question God and we blame God all the time. We just do it passively. We're not maybe as bold as Joshua here. It's like, God, why did you do this? What we do is, God, you could have healed him. God, you could have stopped that car. God, you could have stopped that man. You could have shut the door. You could have locked the door. God, you could have, and whatever you want to put in the blank, but don't we do that? Don't we? When things don't happen the way that we want, the moment that God doesn't do what we want him to do, we immediately begin to question him. Why did you do this? Hmm. He's not done, though. <laughs> Joshua continues to say, pardon your servant. Let me go a little bit farther. You know, the thing when I think of pardon your servant, uh, you know what the word is really implied here, but... It's kind of like saying, um, don't be offended, but 
Have you guys ever heard that phrase? Don't be offended, but... When everybody, I, I usually underline the word but in my mind, and I already know who's going to be the butt of the conversation. I'm, okay, but you know what I'm saying, right? So here's the thing is, is usually what they're about to say is what? Offensive. Don't be offended, but you're going to say something offensive, and maybe you, if you don't want to offend somebody, maybe this isn't the, the thing to say. Or I like this. Keep an open mind as mine's doing this. Feels like you're about to trick me. My mind just went, boop, close. Shut the doors and the windows, all of them. Get them all shut. See, what happens now is that he not only then questioned God, why did you do this? Now he says, pardon your servant. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then listen to this. What then will you do for your... God doesn't need us to make his name great. It's already great. He doesn't need me to make him God. He is God. When I read this, I'm like, Joshua is lucky to be alive. I'm telling you right now, oh God, what are you going to do for your great name? Because Israel's gone, so what are you going to do? God's like, well, I don't know. No, he's God. He's all-powerful. He spoke with words everything into creation. Just let there be light. You think he needs you to make his name great? He created the world before Israel ever thought, before they ever existed. Who do you think rose up Israel? See, Joshua is trying to strong arm and manipulate God. I don't know if you've ever been there before. I was. My mentor really corrected me. This was probably one of the strongest corrections. When Malachi had gotten sick, and I remember I started studying every healing passage in the Bible, and I'm like, we're figuring this out. Like if it's a, an equation to figure out. And I'm looking at all this, and it's like, okay, you know. And my greatest fear was that what if I don't have enough faith to heal my son. That was my greatest fear. I remember so much, what if I don't have the faith the size of a mustard seed? I'm starting to think, that's so small. That's so small. Do I not even have that much? Do I? And I remember questioning, and so I went to him, and I'm like, okay, here's what I'm seeing. I, and so I started writing in my mind and on my journal all of these sermons about faith and about healing and how they're all tied together and how nothing's impossible and whatever, you know, and I started writing out all these things and my mentor looks at me and says, Daniel, you can't manipulate God. You can't grab God's arm and twist it into what, you can't say, well, God, your word says, so you must. That's not how it works. You don't go up to God and say, God, your word says this, this is who you are, so you have to. Because then what happens is I start playing God. I'm not God. He's God. And I'm here to ask him what he wants to do for his great name. How can I get in line with your great name, God? We try to tell God, this is what your Bible says as if he doesn't know. He wrote it. Right? Come on, how many of you, I know I did, how many of you has done that with me? 
okay, there's three of us. Everyone else, I, you're dismissed. No, I mean, you know, like seriously, there's only three of us that have ever said, like, God, your word says this, and I think you should do. All right, there's just three. The sermon's for three of us. So, I mean, man, when I read that, I was, I was that's what we do so often. The more you know his word, sometimes the more you try to use it, right? So, all right, so sometimes we even like, God, this is who you are, as if he doesn't know who he is. God, you're good, then why are you letting this happen? That's not good. Well, I'm not God to say whether it's good or not good. He is. See, the Lord then said to him, stand up. (laughs) So the picture here, when we look at what's going on in this situation when, he, when they got defeated, Joshua ripped his clothes and he threw himself onto the ground and started crying this prayer out. And God said, stand up. What are you doing? Oh, we're defeated. Oh, what are you going to do? God's like, stand up. Get up off the ground. Stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. Let me show you something. They didn't have a God problem. They had a sin problem in their life. Let's just be honest about what the situation is. They didn't have a God problem as if he wasn't strong enough or, or powerful enough to defeat the enemy. They had a sin problem, as many of us do. The lack of power in our life is not a lack of God. I don't have a God problem in my life, but I often do have a sin problem. He says, Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possessions. That's why Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. You guys remember that phrase? Remember when they were told, don't take the devoted things or it will make all of the camp of Israel liable to destruction? This is just the fulfillment of the warning. They make, God didn't make, God, they, they have been made liable. They, their choices, one man's choice made an entire nation liable. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now, God's not done. (laughs) Go consecrate. All right, I love this. Go consecrate the people. Tell them. So now, this is what he's to tell the people. Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. Right? For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, you're going to present yourself tribe by tribe. So what was going to happen is they're all going to bring themselves out. Here's what I want to do. The word consecrate in in, in, um, Hebrew is kadesh. It it means to remove from common use. Make something sacred or to devote yourself. So what he's saying is this. Listen, folks. Go separate yourself from the world right now. Devote yourself to God. Once you've done that, now remove the things that aren't supposed to be there. So if you have consecrated, if you have devoted yourself to God, then it makes it a lot easier to know the things in your life you need to remove. Amen? Come on. Right? If I'm not devoted to the Lord, I'm probably not going to remove anything 
because I want it there. Huh? I'm not blind. I can see you guys. To remove would be like to repent, to turn something. I don't want this. This thing's not supposed to be there. So in this Old Testament passage, we're seeing what, it, what, what God is expecting them to do when they have fallen short. Now listen to this. this, is, this is, so I'm going to bring a verse out, and I'm gonna, I want you to see something. So first, God is saying, consecrate yourself. You need to devote yourself to God. And once you've done that, now you need to what? Re and move, remove, right? So they were given instructions. Am I right? God's giving the people instructions. This is what you're to go do. Am I right? Okay, we'll try that again. Is God telling them to go consecrate themselves to Him and to remove whatever doesn't belong? Yes? yes. All right, so we're all on this. I need you to see this because most of us will go right over it. So He's telling the people right now, you got 24 hours. Consecrate yourselves and remove. Verse 15, whoever is, what's the word? Caught. I want you to hold on to that for a minute. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and done an outrageous thing in Israel. Pretty rough consequences. What, was the, what, what instructions did God give? Consecrate yourself. Go devote yourself to the Lord. Get away, basically, get away from the world. That would be like sanctifying yourself. I want, I, being, I want to be holy. I don't want to be doing what the world's doing. And I need to remove the things I shouldn't be doing. I need to remove the things that don't belong in my life. That was the instructions. Then he says, whoever is caught with... The devoted things. Follow me. What if Achan would have consecrated himself to the Lord and removed the devoted things? Would he have then been caught? I want you to think about this. There is a grave difference between confessing sin and getting caught with sin. Am I right? Because we, we don't know what would have happened, and maybe God would have said, I'm sorry, too late. I don't know, but I do know that God is merciful and he's gracious and he's forgiving. I know who God is. And maybe God said, I'm sorry, this is still the consequence being carried out, but I want to know, I want you to know this. We won't know, but what if Achan would have consecrated himself? What if he would have came and confessed his sin? I can promise you, every one of my kids, you ask any of my kids, I can guarantee you, they know if they confess their shortcomings to me before I find out from somebody else, I'm always easier on them. If I find out through someone else, the consequences are always twice what I would have done. I teach them that on purpose. If I find out from somebody else, whatever it was going to be is doubled. I'm just taking it times two. If, it was, if you're grounded for a week, it's now two weeks. If you were going to lose your phone for a month, it's now 60 days. If I find out from anyone else, because I want my kids to learn there's a grave, big, wide, huge, honking difference between getting caught in your sin and confessing it. 
Come on now. I wish more parents. My kids, my kids, you go ask my kids, what happens if you lie to your dad? Nothing is worse when you get caught in a lie. I remember my dad told me in, in, uh, when, I was, when I was a little kid, the worst spankings I ever got, I lied one time. I lied because the, the principal didn't even believe me. I, he said, what happened? So I told him everything that happened. And he goes, no, you did this. I'm like, no, I didn't do that. And he goes, you did it. And I said, no, I did not do that. He goes, you're lying. Tell me that you're done. I'm like, I didn't do it. I don't believe you. Okay, fine, I did it. Called my dad. I got a spank. My dad was like, did you do it? I'm like, no. And he goes, well, I'm giving you a spank. And I'm like, why? I didn't do it. And he goes, because you said you lied. But he wouldn't believe me. What am I supposed to do? I got a spanking anyway. So then I was like, okay, I'm just not going to lie. I don't care what it is. I ain't lying for no one. You see, there's a difference in the consequences of when you start going, oh, man, if, you, if, he, if Achan would have consecrated himself to the Lord and said, wow, I did something bad. I did something really bad. And then he went to Joshua and said, man, I got to confess right now. I got this stuff. I did it. It was me. I'm so sorry. I don't know what to do. Or what happens when they come tribe? So they had to bring every, this is an entire nation to find one person. Bring tribe after tribe after tribe. Judah gets called. Yep, Judah's the tribe. Now, tribe by tribe out of Judah. It was this one. Then tent by tent by tent. Achan, what did you do? Oh, yeah, it was me. I'm sorry. Do you see the difference? The difference in getting caught and you finally have nowhere else to run and finally it was me. There's a difference in that and saying, I sinned. I fell short. How many of you have sinned? How many would confess to that? Okay, so good. All right. So we're all on the same page. We have all sinned. So everybody's fallen short. How many of you have fallen short somewhere along the way in the last seven days? Okay, so some of you are doing really good. Some of you are right, right in the same road with me. All right, so here's the deal. It's not a shocker if one of my kids said, Dad, I messed up. Okay, sounds about right. You're a kid. Okay, now what? Right? Or if they messed up and they tried to cover it up. Now, we've got two sins to deal with. Right? You get what I'm saying? All right. Listen to this. This is, this is tough, guys. Then Joshua, together with all of Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, this is all the stuff that he took, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, sheep, his tent, and all that he had into the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And then all Israel stoned him, and after they stoned the rest, they burned them all. Your actions affect others. His actions affect all of Israel, and it affected his sons and his daughters. Your actions affect your children too. Let me show you some, some just common questions that we're going to do. Well, let me, let me say this. Wives are directly affected by the choices of their husbands. Husbands are directly affected by the choices of their wives. Agreed? Children are directly affected by the choices of their parents. 
vice versa, the parents are affected directly by the choices of their children. Employees are affected by the choices of a boss, and a boss is affected by the choices of the employees. What I'm wanting us to understand is that our actions will affect those around us, and it also can be good. But here it is. Does your anger, if you struggle with anger, does your anger affect anyone around you? What if it's not even directed to them? What if I'm angry at something else and my kids are just in a room? Does my anger affect my children if I'm not even angry with them? You bet it does. Does your jealousy affect the relationships around you? You bet it does. Does your greed and poor money management affect those in your house? You bet it does. But does your kind words affect those around you? Does your good deeds affect those around you? See, this is not all bad. It can be really good. See, your actions affect others. There are 13, over 13,000 children in foster care in the state of Missouri, just this state. How did they get there? By the choices of their parents. That's how that happened. It doesn't just accidentally happen. It happens because of the choice. So these kids are in foster care because their parents didn't make good choices. A child has four times greater chance with an addiction if the parent has that addiction. Four times greater chance. Children learn by watching and listening than they do it. See, monkey, right? There we go. You guys got it. Monkey see, monkey do. I had it backwards. Thank you. I was sitting there going, that doesn't sound right in my head, but... Okay, if I ever hear a child cuss, first thing I'm like, where did they, where did they, come on, where did they, they learned it. Someone taught them. So either the parent is allowing them to watch things they shouldn't watch, their parents are saying things that they shouldn't say, or they're sneaking and they they have a phone they shouldn't have. Little six-year-old walking around with a phone, what are you doing? You don't need a phone. Children are learning these behaviors from what's around them or what you let them watch. But let me turn this around. Kind words promote. Listen to this. This is, this, I got this out of a, a, a psychology magazine or, or a report. I didn't read the magazine. It was a report. But kind words, like good, kind, wholesome words promote healing, peace, respect, and it reduces anxiety and stress. I mean, we can find verses after verses in the Bible about kind words. Don't let any unwholesome mouth, uh, talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building, building others up, right? So serving others reduces stress and even your own pain. So if you're hurting, we have a work day downstairs <laughs> to serve with a hammer and screw guns. This kind, uh, we can help your pain. If you got stress problems and you got pain... Show up Saturday at 8 o'clock. We'll take care of it. Is that, a, that was like a promotional video, right? <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Oh, sorry. Okay, so, um, but it, it, it reduces stress, pain, depression, and it provides perspective and purpose. 
Because one, now, if I'm serving someone else, I'm no longer focused on me and my big old problems, right? Sometimes when you start focusing on something else and someone else, your problems don't seem so big after all. Giving, the money, time, talent, giving to others promotes contentment. Maybe if we're not content, maybe we're not giving enough. Gratitude and will boost positivity. I like it. Last slide. Say amen. Amen. You're welcome. All right, so here we go. I love this slide. This helps out. So there was a flyer that was given to me a while back, and I loved the flyer. I kept it. I took a picture of it. 75% of kids left church from the ages 18 to 29. True story. Right now, currently, 75%, statistically, 75% of our kids who graduate high school, they will quit church. 75% of them. Most of the studies go back to these 75% 75% say, why did you leave? Why did you leave? Why did you leave? But this study said to the 25, why did you? Come on, this is going to make sense. Here's what they found, commonalities between all of them. They all ate as a family together. If you are too busy to eat with your family, change for your kids' sake. Served with family at the church. Serve, the thing we just talked about. They, the kids would come with the parents. They found, so if they want to keep the kid in church, get active in the church, and then bring your kid to be active in the church. I've seen some of these parents getting in part of the prayer team, and now I've started seeing their kids involved in the same thing, and it makes me so proud, makes me so proud that we're getting it and we're instilling it. Guys, I love to see our kids praying with people. That is powerful. I have never been in a church where I've seen so many youth ready to pray with anybody. They had a weekly spiritual experience where? At home. It means that God is being talked about at home. A Bible is being opened at home. They're home. They're watching a spiritual movie. We watched The Blind last night as a family. That was really cool. Um, Four, they were entrusted with responsibility at church. I love Youth Sunday. I love seeing kids sing about God. I love seeing kids back there running words. I love seeing kids shake hands. I love seeing kids do stuff. In fact, there's been so many times when we did not have adults that were willing to sign up for nursery, our youth did. Yeah. There's times when nobody wants to miss this. A kid will say, you know what, I'll... I'll go. Nobody else would. And I'm not saying that to shame. What I'm saying is is that's how you keep kids in church is by making them a part of the church. Not just a quiet little point. You guys be quiet. You guys sit in the corner. No. We want, I'll tell you what, man. If we all worship like these kids in the front, whoo. Tell you what, when I get over there, I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm not very good at dancing, but I'm thinking about it. You know, like, I don't know. So anyways, all right, so number, all the pastors in the front row are just shaking their heads. Okay, number five, they had at least one faith-focused adult in their life. What? Besides, it includes the parents, doesn't exclude it. It says besides, that means, so the parents are a faith influence, but also they had someone else in their life that was faith-focused. 
that doesn't just mean, oh, they, they have a youth pastor. They need somebody in their life. But just like any pastor cannot have a personal, close relationship with everybody, but you need someone who's close. They need someone who's not mom and dad, who's close enough to say, you're acting like an idiot and you need to stop. They need someone in their life that is going to encourage them and, to do the right thing and discourage them from the wrong thing, and it can't always be mom and dad. So are we instilling, and I'm saying all of this, why? It's not just about kids today, but what I'm wanting you to understand is that your actions affect others. It will affect your children. It will affect your marriage. It's going to affect your home. It's going to affect everything around you. So, as we bring this kind of to an end here, I'm just going to ask you guys to bow your heads. And one of the things that I really want you to, to reflect on for just a moment here I want you to think about some of the choices that you've made. If nothing else, that when you leave this place, you will begin to think about your words, about your choices, about your attitude, about your emotions, about everything that you do, it has a direct effect on everyone around you. So maybe there's some change that you need in your life. Maybe you need to ask God to help you. Maybe you have an anger issue. Maybe you have a complaining issue. I remember a while back, we had a kid that was so angry. Finally asked him, why are you so upset with the church? What did the church do to you? The church didn't do anything to him, but his mom and dad spoke badly about the church all the time. And it made his heart turn against the church. The kids are listening to you. Your spouse listens to you. The people in your life listen to you. So maybe we need to say, God, I need to change my words. Maybe today we need to change our anger. We need to say, God, help me. Maybe, maybe I've been stealing from God. Maybe I've been withholding from God. Maybe... What is it? What, if I'm going to devote myself to God, what is it that you would remove? Is there anything in your life that needs to be removed? Maybe there's some things that you have done wrong and you've been holding it deep down inside. Maybe there's some sin you've been hiding under the under the tent of your heart. Maybe today you just need to confess that to God. Because what I would tell you is to hold on to sin will destroy you. We were never meant to hold on to it. We were never meant to keep it secret. We were never meant to hold it down. We were meant to confess it to God so that he could forgive us and remove it from our lives.
So maybe today you need to consecrate yourself. Maybe today you need to remove some things, ask God to remove some things from your life, whatever it is. The altar is open. Won't you come? Maybe there's someone in your life that you still haven't forgiven. Maybe there's bitterness that you're holding on to. That bitterness is affecting the people around you. Maybe you need to forgive that person today. Maybe you need to ask God to help you change your words and your attitudes and your actions. Maybe this is a time for you to pray for somebody you hurt. Maybe this is a time to thank God for what he's doing in your life. And maybe it's not a time to repent. Maybe it's a time to celebrate. Whatever it is that God would have you do, do it.